everyone. Oh, are we awake? Hey? It's wet, it's windy, but it's, it's Barbados in here, isn't it? Hey? We've let you have a bit of eating on. Sunday school are just on the way out, yeah. As we were praying before, and uh, I remembered a conversation I had with Peter earlier this week. It's so easy, it's so easy to hear background noise and it puts you off. There were a BBC news item where the newsreel behind were going off and it were putting people off from hearing the news. And there's some news today and we're going to hit on some hard things today. But what I'm praying is that God will actually increase the background noise. Because in Nehemiah, there's a background noise going on all the time. And it's a background noise of a faithful, covenant-keeping, loving God. And I'm praying that this morning, Father, that you would increase the background noise in our lives, Lord. Lord, there's every which way baying for our attention. There's things baying for our attention. But I pray today, as we get into Nehemiah, you would turn up the volume in the background that we may see and hear you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're, we've been working through Nehemiah. And I've got chapter 13. I've got the final chapter. So shall we turn to it? Shall we turn to We're going to read it because there's nothing better than reading the Word of God. I don't know whether you have a challenge like I do to pick this up in a week. But is this the first time you've read it this week? Because it's a challenge for each one of us to keep looking into the Word of God. So let's read the Word of God together. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And therein it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the Israelites with food or water, but hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard the law, they they excluded from Israel all who were foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, was put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers as well as the contributions of the priests. While all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of Uh, Artaxerxes king of Babylon I had returned to the king sometime later I asked his permission and I came back to Jerusalem here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done to provide providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put them back, put back the equipment of the house of God 
and the grain and offerings and incense. I also learnt that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and the singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and oil into the storerooms. And I put Shelemiel, the priest, Zadok the scribe and the Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms. And I made Hanan, son of Zakur, the son of Matiana, the assistant, because the men were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to the brothers. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done in the house of my God and its services. In those days I saw the men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing grain and loading it onto donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling the food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your forefathers do the same things so that God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not to be opened till the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that the loads could not be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. And I don't think that means praying. From that time, they no, from that time no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to, to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and they did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their, to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons, for, your, for yourselves. Was it not of these marriages that, like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among many nations there were no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. But in, even he was led into sin by these foreign women. 
Must we hear now that you are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joadiah, son of Elishabib, the high priest was son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite, had drove him away from me. Remember me, O God, because they have defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood for the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of every, everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for the contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruit. Remember me with favor, oh my God. I have a seven-year-old daughter and we can say that, safely say that we watch a fair few films together. One of his favorites is, of course, the Disney films. We love an happy ending. We absolutely love an happy ending. We love it when the princess gets a prince. We love it when true love wins the day. We love it when God, good overcomes evil. And we love the promises of happy ever after. I also get to occasionally watch an adult film. And the other day I was watching Chariots of Fire again. For, I hadn't seen it for years and I'm sat there in my living room crying. It's a story about Eric Liddell. And he is the man who breaks the four minute mile. And in these closing scenes, what, what's happened previously is refused to... He's refused to run on a Sabbath on the Sunday. He's a Christian and he refuses to run on the Sunday. And all his peers are trying to pressure him into running because they know he'd win the race. But he was a man of deep conviction and he refused. But in the final scene, you see him running and uh, you've got the emotive music behind and then you hear Eric Liddell's famous quote. And it says... I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's the most wonderful thing to feel God's pleasure. I were in floods. I, I, I don't mind admitting it. I don't mind. I were crying my eyes out because it just hit something deep inside me. And of course, it's one of the challenges in Nehemiah what we face is that people had moved away from the Sabbath. That keeping one day holy for God. He rested, so we rest. The Sabbath weren't made for men, but men were, the Sabbath weren't made for men, but men were made for the Sabbath. We're meant to rest. I think that's the right way around. Every day is holy though. It's not just one day. Every single day is holy to God. And God is calling us to work, rest, and play. Like I say, I love an happy ending. And when Keith asked me to do chapter 13, I was like, yes. I was so excited. I get to finish it all off. And then I read it. And I were absolutely gutted. In fact, I wanted Nehemiah to finish last week in chapter 12. 
because we've got choirs walking around. It would make a great ending to a film, wouldn't it? We had two choirs walking around the walls. We had the priest uh, being obedient and providing the service within the temple and, and the worship of people. We had people generously giving. We had scenes of great celebration and great praise to God for what he had done. I've spent all this last two weeks not wanting to look at this. And one of the reasons I didn't want to look at it is because as I read it, and I read how the people of God can so easily drift away and become disobedient again, I see something in my own life in operation. And it's incredibly challenging. It's incredibly challenging. The people of God have a propensity to do two things. They either follow obediently or they wander away in disobedience. And this is repeated time and time and time again in the Bible. And disobedience, it doesn't happen overnight. Nehemiah has been gone quite a long time. And over time, there's been a slow fade. This is what I see in my life. Maybe you see it in your life. There's a slow fade. Till you get to a point where you go, how have I ended up here? Disobedience doesn't happen overnight. Nehemiah's away. The whole Bible speaks of this propensity to follow and to wander. We see exiles. We see returns. We see devastation and we see visitation from God. We see brokenness and we see wholeness. We see broken promises and promises renewed. And then we see full circle that promises are broken again. It's uncomfortable and it's a sobering read, chapter 13. And it's why I didn't want to read it. But it's also the reason why we must read it. Scripture is a double-edged sword. One side, it's incredibly fortifying. It encourages us. It brings strength. It comforts us. It lifts us up and it builds us up. But there's another edge to the sword as well. And it brings a sobering warning. And it brings correct judgments. And it's disturbing. And it's challenging. And it brings conviction. And it brings a rebuke. God's word has the power to comfort the disturbed with that fortified encouragement. It also has the power to disturb the comfortable with sobering warnings. We see this with Jesus, how he speaks, how he teaches. When he speaks to the churches in Revelation, he has wonderful encouragements. You've been doing this, you've been doing this, you've been doing this, and I commend you. But we can't just read that, because then he says, I've got this against you. You've left your first love. You've been doing this well. You've been doing this well. Your good deeds are, are commendable. 
but you're entertaining this. God's word comes with two edges and it's sobering and it's encouraging. We join Nehemiah and it's the book's being read again. And it's specifically saying that it's written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted to the assembly of God. Now God has called Israel to be a light to the nations. He is not opposed to foreign nations, God isn't. God called Israel to be a light to them. But he specifically about this Moab and this Ammonite nation and specifically commands the people of God not to mix with these. He said it on entry into the promised land, don't mix with them. And he also says it, well, specifically here it says it's because they refused to give them food and water. And they actually hired Balaam to call down curses on them, a prophet of God. To call, down, to call down our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. And that's what God's in the business of doing. Turning curses into blessings. I've, uh, as you know, some of you, I've had some real blessings lately. I've had a new 40-inch television from my sister. After years of not having television. I've had... Uh, I've had a brand new car I picked up on Wednesday. I could never have a new car. And these blessings are blessings, but they also come with challenges. But I went to pick the car up Wednesday, and I, and I set off back on the M1 in my brand new shiny car. And as I got up to 55 mile an hour, it started cutting out. And I'm having this battle in my head. God, you have blessed me. I know this blessing is from God. Surely it's not a curse. Get up to 55 again. So I turn back around. Don't laugh, Sarah. I was mortified. Eh? I was going through a real, real challenge inside. She's laughing her head off up there. Eh? I turn back off the M1, come back, got to the bottom of my mum's hill where they live and turned into the garage. And... Uh, this, this guy come out, and uh, as soon as I seen him, I saw he were in pain. He could hardly walk. His back were killing him. And I knew why I were there. I just knew why I were there from that point. I says, what have you done? He says, my back's just killing me. And he says, it's, it's a nightmare, isn't it? So trying to do work and, and have a back like that. And uh, anyway, he had a look at my car, and he plugged it in, and it tells you what's wrong with it. I've never had a car where you plug it in and tell... In fact, I haven't had a car with gears before. So this is like, you know, not proper gears, like when they move properly and that. But you plugged it in and he said that there's, there's a fault on it. And he cleared the fault. He took it for a test drive. So anyway, he takes it up the road. has gone 10 minutes, comes back. He says, look, I've had it up to 80 miles an hour now. I says, whoa, just a minute. And I did say this. I says, listen, angels fall off at 70. And he looked at me. I mean, he looked at me, gone out, and uh, anyway, he says, come over. I said, how much does it cost and everything? And, uh, and uh, anyway, I says, you've done me a great favor. I've got to get back to Chester, and, uh, but can I do something for you? And I says, I'm a, I'm a minister from, I'm a church minister from Chester. 
could I pray for your back? I've seen many people healed from back problems and Jesus has healed many people as we've prayed. Could I pray for you? And he said, yes. So anyway, prayed with him, nothing happened. I says, look, can I pray again? And I prayed again. He says, oh, that feels better. I says, bend down. So he, he said, oh, no, it's still a bit tight. Still a bit tight. I says, look, I'm just going to do some Bible stuff for you. When Jesus prayed for people, sometimes he prayed twice. Could I pray again? So prayed again. I says, do you, do you play sports? He says, I used to. I used to box and I used to play. And I just prayed specifically that God had healed sports injuries. And he was totally healed. I share, well, it's better than that. No, it is better than that. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing. And his smile came on his face from ear to ear. And I shared the love of God with him. And I shared some prophetic words about his family, which were spot on. And encouraged him. And told him how much God is involved in your life and wanting to bless your life. And how much he loves you. And this guy was just beaming. He shook me hand. Still charged me. It's not, <laughs> I tell them I'm from up north. It still charged me, but I tell you something, that diagnostic he did was nothing compared when Jesus plugged in and diagnosed his life and, and, and fixed a real fault. Praise God. Let's pray for Neil that he comes right way through. God's good. God's good. But there's no room for these foreign nations The word of God were read, but before this, Elisha, but I had a room out to Tobiah, who was an Ammonite. And also, if we remember, he was one of the opponents of Nehemiah. If the enemy don't get in one way, he'll try a different way. That's just how he is. And at this time, Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. And he asks the king, and he returns. And on his return, he says that he was greatly displeased. And he threw Tobiah's household goods out of the room. It was quite, quite a decisive move. And that's the sort of decisive moves we need to do as people. God is at work. I don't know if he's at work in your life. I might just be preaching to myself. But God's at work in my life, shaking me up. God's at work in my life, removing everything foreign. I think if you're a Christian, you can count yourself in that that's what God's doing. He's removing foreign things. And he's removing the weights and the sins that so easily entangle us. But this is where the challenge is. Because sometimes we can be asleep with a light on. And this is the challenge I had as, I, as I've been reading this last couple of weeks is that God's challenged me on how sometimes I can be complacent and I can be passive when it comes to dealing with sin. And this sometimes I can get angry, but I'm getting angry at the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with getting angry towards sin but often what we do 
we sit back and become complacent and we become passive. It's good to feel the displeasure of sin. And it's good to take severe action about it. God spoke to me this week and it's a, we're an interesting bunch. We're, we're a small bunch, aren't we? But sometimes we can sit here being angry with what we ain't got. Or we can be proactive and be decisive in what we're going to do. And God spoke to me, are you going to sit there picking holes or are you going to start filling them? Because there's many holes to be filled in the building work. And if you sat there being angry about what we haven't got, then it's the wrong thing to be angry about. But be proactive. Be decisive. Instead of picking holes, fill them. And Jesus tells us to be really decisive about sin. He don't mess about with his language. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than the whole body go to hell. Complacency leads to compromise. Passivity leads to perversity. It leads to disobedience. A disobedience to God and to his word. And we see God's displeasure and severe action outworking in Jesus' life. And his anger, his righteous anger towards disobedience and sin. And we see it when Jesus clears the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Please pray for us as a team as well as we take over the building because we're going to be hiring this place out to many different organisations many different people groups. But please pray for Rachel and the rest of the team as a church that they'll have wisdom and discernment on what they let in the doors and what they have to let out the doors. Please pray for us as a team, Keith, Pete, myself. Sometimes it's not comfortable. You know what I mean? I'd love to come and sit with you and give you fuzzy strokes. But God's not called me to do that. And more and more, we're going to have to have his arms open to let people in. But we're going to have to feel some people's collars as well and lay hands on people. And that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like the grace-filled thing that you... But grace deals with this stuff. We cannot be complacent or passive about these things. There are times when we have to ask people to leave. So please pray for us. Pray that we'll do it with all grace and love, but also with decisiveness.
Nehemiah addresses all this disobedience with decisiveness. He throws Tobiah out. Notice with me, walk with God, and there's lots of things that I've given up. Drugs. Pornography. Working on other stuff. Greed. Overeating. There's things I'm working through with God. But one thing I'm learning... When you throw something out, you've got to put something back in. Because we can't have a vacuum. It don't work, because other things suck back in if we have a vacuum. So often, we work hard and tirelessly, and I call it white-knuckle Christianity, on throwing things out, resisting things, standing against things throwing things out, throwing things off. But there's a principle here what we need to get hold of as well. We've got to put the things back in as well. Nehemiah reinstated all the items of worship. He reinstated the prayer, the worship, the reading of the Bible. Now these are Christian disciplines, but they're also the things that guard us hearts, keep us from sin. We store the, the, God's word in us heart that we may not sin against you. So as we throw things out, remember, we always have to replace it with something else. If we don't, it'll just come straight back in again. He reinstates the priests and the Sabbath that we've, we've touched on. And marriages that were forbidden, relationships that were forbidden. And the reason that these relationships were forbidden is because within one generation, they didn't, know God, they didn't know how to listen to God's word. They spoke a different language. That's why we have to be so decisive when we think about starting children's ministry. That's why we have to be so decisive when we start thinking about starting family supporting ministries. That's why we have to be so decisive when we're looking at, at different ministries that, that are starting up. Because we're, we're entering a world where they don't speak the Bible. They just don't speak it anymore. Even though we think we're communicating, they don't hear it. Because mums and dads, especially mums, in this ancient world, mums brought the children up. So within one generation... Half of the children of Israel didn't know how to speak the language of Judah. It's so important that we encourage our families to be able to speak the language of the Bible, to speak the language of Jesus. So important. And we'll be looking at that <laughs> greater depth as we look at the children's ministry and the parenting ministry and marriages. You know, partly why I don't want to preach is because of all the mistakes I've made in my past. I stand here this week ready to get my divorce. I'd, but that actually gives me integrity to speak because I did. I married 
a foreign woman. And I don't want to speak bad about her because she's a wonderful person. But I'm just being honest with you. This is why I don't want to speak. Because if I can't live it, I don't want to stand up here. I'm not speaking out of what I don't know because I've lived it and I've done it and I know the destruction and the damage it does. Now, some will like that, some won't like that. But I cannot speak without integrity, I'm afraid. And I'd rather not be here if I'm not going to speak out of integrity. And I've made terrible mistakes in terms of this. And that's why God says it. You know why? Because behind it all, this is where, the, this is where it turns up, the background noise. This is where it turns up because behind it all isn't a God who's ready to squash you like an ant. Behind it all is a loving, faithful, good father. Behind every law given, by every, by, by every promise made, the background music behind the Bible, the background music that's being turned up in Nehemiah, is of a God who is a good and faithful and loving God, a loving Father. I like finishing on happy endings. And it don't get happier than that. The whole story of Nehemiah, we see fortifying encouragements. Just hands up if you've been encouraged through the book of Nehemiah. Amen. I know I have. Strengthened. You know what I mean? In my walk with God, in my identity, in my insecurity, in myself. Fortified encouragements. But also these sober warnings. But the whole story of Nehemiah and the whole story of the Bible, it's not one of spiritual success and spiritual failure. Spiritual success, spiritual failure. Does anybody recognize the life in this? Spiritual success, spiritual failure. It's like a roller coaster, isn't it? The story running through is the faithfulness, the love, the mercy, the grace of God. Unchanging, unshakable, unending. God is not fickle. In, a, in his relationship with us. Not like we're fickle with him and with others. He is faithful. If we set ourselves up, we, we'll set ourselves up to fail. If we base our faith on our own self-efforts and any redeeming attributes that we think we have. True security and the foundation for our lives can only come from understanding who God is, his nature, his actions, the way he acts towards us and what comes out of his mouth. And what comes out of his mouth is a covenant. Now I'm not going to 
I'm not going to presume that everybody knows what a covenant is, but a covenant is a, pro a promise. It's a type of promise. And we see God as a covenant-making God. After the disobedience in the garden, God makes promises. After destroying all but a few people after the flood, God makes promises. God calls Ab Abram out of, out of his family where he's living and changed his name to Abraham. And he made a covenant with him, swearing by himself. Abraham made friends with God. Not a fickle friendship, but a friendship based on God himself and his promises. A covenant is a contract, a binding agreement between two parties. And we see this in Genesis, Genesis 15 where he makes the covenant with Abraham. And he provides a visual statement about this covenant. And he asks Abraham to cut some rams, some goats, cut them in half and place them each side. And some doves and some goats, but the doves and goats, they didn't get... Uh, they didn't get cutting off and then and then the promise is made and then the people walk through the sacrifice it's a bit early in the morning isn't it but they walk through it's not the most it's quite graphic but they walk through these cutting off animals and what they say while they're doing it they say they say may this be done to me if I don't keep my oath. So may, may I be killed, cutting off if I don't keep my oath. But it's important to understand this, this promise, this covenant made with Abraham. Because when this, when, this, when this covenant were made, only God walked through it. Abraham says he was were, he were asleep and he was under a great darkness. And it says that God spoke, God, God walked through it. God alone passed his peace as a dead animal, and the covenant was sealed by God alone. Everything depended on God. Do you live your life like it depends on you? I know I have. Have you lived your Christian life as though it depended on you? I know I have. self Doing it my way. Using my... God made another covenant through Moses. And that required blood sprinkled on the tabernacle but all these are foreshadows the, all these are foreshadows to what we've been singing today a great covenant a covenant made by Jesus in his own blood And that's where we can be confident. 
not that we do this up and down Christianity. In and out Christianity. Up and down. But it depends on God. The foundation of our life depends on the faithfulness and the love of God constantly running through his lives. And God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, it says, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God never lies on what is said and what is promised. He can't deny. And it's all glory to God who is able to keep us from falling. And he brings us with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. I don't know what you're living for. But in the ups and downs of my life, God's done it all. And God is it all. But when I get to the end of my life, I want to hear good and faithful servant. I don't know about you. When it comes to the end of it all, that's where I long to hear good and faithful servant. And he's able to keep us. He's able to keep us. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I, what I have so faithfully done for your house, my God, and its services. Remember me also, my God, and show mercy according to your great love. Paul speaks about having a clear view of mercy. Everything that we do is in view of God's mercy. It's not because of us, but it's because of his mercy. And let us remember together God's favour. You know what? I'm just learning that God loves me. I know that sounds weird after 15 years of being a Christian. But do you know God loves you? And you can say yes. And you can mentally assent to knowing that God loves me. But do you know God loves you? Because this is the foundation that God's building in Freedom Church. And Freedom Church into building... It's us. That's the foundation that's being laid in Freedom Church. That will be a people who know that we're loved. And that loved is based not in our own feelings, our own performance, especially if you're a man. It's based in the covenant promise of a faithful God. And that's the foundation that's being laid. Do you know God loves you? If you don't know God loves you today, I'd encourage you to believe the truth. Not believe your feelings or your circumstances, but believe in the one who is faithful. And do you know that God wants to bless you 
We're not going to get all God channel here on everyone. There are many ways God wants to bless. And he's furious. It's pent up. I can sense heaven pent up in lives. There's a pent upness and you're feeling it. I'm just going to start prophesying a bit now, if that's all right. There's a pent upness and you're feeling it. And do you know where it is? It's a dam. And it's going to break. The cracks are showing. But it's going to break. There's a pent upness of heaven wanting to be released. You've hid under this umbrella. There's blessing. There's blessing happening all the time. If you want to know what blessing is, come on Freedom in Christ in January. And you will know step by step who you are in Christ. And if you had no more blessings than that, it would be enough. And your life would be transformed forever. Please, do that. But there's a pent-upness. And we're feeling it. Because God wants to release blessing. And we're not talking money. It may be money. There's many different blessings that God wants to... Thingy. There's, 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 there's crowns. There's crowns to be worn. In this blessing, as this blessing breaks, God's going to start putting crowns on heads. And it's to do with sonship and daughtership. Knowing who you really are. Knowing that your dad is. Not up and down. Thinking you're illegitimate. Because that's not the work that's happening in his lives. That pain that we're feeling at the moment is not because we're illegitimate. It's because we have a good, good father and a faithful father. That's the pain you're feeling. Because no child of God is illegitimate. So be encouraged in that pain. Because it's your good, good father and he's wanting you to respond to him. And the longer you sit in your pain, the longer it'll stay. But what will happen is the pain of staying the same will get greater than the fear of change. And this is what's happening. These people sat in the pain. They sat in the pain, but what's happening, it's increasing. And it's increasing because this pain of staying the same, this pain of change will be more inviting than the pain of sitting where you are now. And God disciplines his children and he's faithful and he's good I know this in my life it's happening daily and I want to encourage you it's what's happening in our lives together this favour that we've not even touched upon yet this favour in terms of seeing Great and miraculous. A lot, of, a lot of empty seats today. It's because there's a lot of illness. Now I can be complacent. And Keith and whoever else can be complacent and passive. Or we can move into the blessing and the favor that God's got for us as children of God. And keep pressing into these things. These people we've not even touched yet. Who are speaking a different language. But he's calling us to interpret. 
this people era we're going to interpret to people and teach them a language, a new language, the language of heaven. Let us live in the good of all the blessings that we already have. Can I really encourage you? Getting some older, some of this material about who we are in Christ. It's life-changing. We're heirs with him. We're a part of an ever-increasing family. We're living, some of us on the edge of the promised land, but we're living in the time of promise. And let us live as though we are blessed, as it says in his word, by the beloved. Let's live in that favor. Let's keep his eyes fixed on his mercy. And let us secure as foundation of his lives, as families' lives and as lives together on the faithfulness and love of God. Amen. Amen.